Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright bullies from pulling the wall on us. Fighting and taking on all the plate to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and do their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. For the uh, fourth year in a row, uh, we have had our public domain game jam celebrating newly public domain works in the U.S. and encouraging people to actually make use of those newly public domain works uh, here in the creation of games, both digital and analog. Uh, This year, works from 1926 entered the public domain, plus some music from 1923 and before, but that's a little bit confusing. We'll just say works from 1926 entered the public domain. Uh, And actually, there seemed to be an even greater than usual level of excitement and interest uh, in the public domain this year uh, and for our game jam. Uh, Perhaps that's because this year included the original Winnie the Pooh, uh, and that's one of the first sort of truly mainstream works to enter the public domain in the U.S. and uh, very, very long time. So there's a lot of discussion out in the public and a lot of people interested in the game jam. Uh, We ended up with 31 game submissions, which is more than the previous few years. And it took us a little longer than usual to get through the judging, both because there were a lot and both and also because we're actually super busy. (laughs) So uh, apologies on the delay in getting through this. But uh, as in past years, uh, besides announcing the winners on TechDirt, which will be coming out, uh, we also are recording a podcast discussing the various games, mostly the winners, but a few of the runners up as well, and some of our general thoughts on the uh, the whole game jam aspect of it. So uh, we we have winners to announce, <laughs> um, and I guess uh, I have I should mention who else is on the podcast, which are my partners in doing the game jam, which is uh, Lee Beaton and Randy Lubin. Uh, welcome back, guys. Hello. Hi. Good to be back, and hard to believe it's been another year. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yeah. But it's it's fun. It's turning into a, an annual tradition. Which, it is a very fun tradition. It's always it's always fun in December to start scouring to see what's about to hit the public domain and and place bets on sort of what we think is going to be the big one. Winnie the Pooh, obviously, being the the huge center of gravity, like uh, Great Gatsby was the year before. Though, right. Interestingly, no spoilers, but no Winnie the Pooh winners this year. Though there were a few submissions, but yes. but we didn't. Uh, yeah, unlike the Great Gatsby, which did take a couple of the winner spots in, in its big year. Yeah. Yeah. Though though you know it was interesting because. Um, some of the first few submissions that, that came in early actually were Winnie the Pooh ones. So I was actually wondering if we were going to sort of be overwhelmed with Winnie the Pooh submissions. Um, and there were a few, and, and the, some of them were really good, actually. Uh, but but it was a, a tough competition. There, there were a lot of really good games. And out of 31, you know, we, we only have six prizes. So uh, none, none of the Winnie the Pooh ones won this, this year. Um, but let's, let's go into the actual winners. Um, should we just go one by one? Sounds good. I think so. All right. We'll start with the analog game winner. This is sort of the, the board or card game or however you want to put it, non-video game, uh, winner. 
And for that one, the winner was Nude on a Yellow Sofa by Nora Katz. Uh, and uh, do one of you want to give sort of a quick, quick summary of, of this one? Sure. Yeah. So uh, Nude on a Yellow Sofa is a storytelling game that also involves the creation of artwork. And uh, it's based on the art piece Nude on a Yellow Sofa by uh, Henri Matisse, I think. Yep. Right? Henri Matisse, 1926. Yeah. So that's sort of the core inspiration, newly public domain painting for this one. Uh, although there's other public domain artwork that's used in the uh, in the PDF of the game itself. And then um, the, the core of the game, so as I said, storytelling, but it's really about interrogating the relationship uh, between a muse and an artist. And um, and so there's going to be a series of uh, prompts as you play the game, which prime uh, different scenes and adding to artwork. And it's just a, a really nice way of, go, of, of taking a work and using it and using inspiration of that work to look at the story of the, the creator behind it and the, the muse that may have inspired it and the subject of the of the painting. And of course, it gets the uh, the players also making art, which is which we love. So it's just yeah. a really, really cool way of engaging with a uh, a bit of art. Yeah, I, th- I think it hit on a, a bunch of different levels. Yeah, it's very cool. And it's building on a sort of theme that's been developing in these game jams, which is a lot of people doing interesting things with the visual arts uh, as the inspiration for their games, uh, including one of our returning winners who we'll get to in another category later. But we've seen, you know, interesting things with playing with art and with making the players create art or collaborate on art before. I think this leans into that the most out of any of the previous entries that we've seen. Uh, Players are each going to create 16 drawings or paintings or whatever medium they're choosing to use throughout playing the game as part of a sort of role-playing storytelling back and forth collaboration between the two of them. And then it has this very cool feature at the end where the final round of the game is taking all that work you've created and making a little gallery exhibition out of it, which also is the framework for sort of revisiting and re-exploring the story that you told together. So it really wraps it up in a very neat way and brings in all these different elements of the art making and art displaying process into it. And it's just very, very clever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it was, it was, it was great. And so that, that wins for the, the best analog game. We'll move on to the best digital game. Uh, and this one was a drunk man looks at the thistle decoded by Anna Wu. Uh, and, and I really liked the, this one sort of, uh, more like a interactive kind of fiction piece, um, than sort of strictly a video game, but it's, it's an exploration of a 1926 poem. That is now in the public domain, and a, a very long poem at that. It's, it's a, yeah. like a epically long Scottish poem. But what's it's really interesting. So this is this is probably the least. If you handed this to somebody, they they'd be the least likely to say, "Oh yeah, this is obviously a game." But it definitely yeah. is interactive fiction, and it um, it's directly talking to the player who's who's clicking through and engaging with it in such an interesting way. And it's also such a personal story too of somebody who has n- no deep connection to. Scottish literature, and he was aware of that, trying to engage and understand what where this poem, where the poet is coming from, and you're sort of walking through that journey, and the the way that, um, so one of the things, one of the dynamics that's happening as you're clicking through um, is you see the untranslated version of the poem, and then you can click to start translating some of the words that 
that don't that you don't know and sometimes these are like very clear translations and sometimes these are total guesses and so you are somewhat taking on the role of the translator but it isn't just this anonymous translator this is a, a person the author themselves uh anna has situated themselves in, in the experience so it's it's, it's very interesting and, and beautiful in a way yeah i found it really really compelling um you know and, and i'll admit when i started to go through it i i wasn't I wasn't excited about it. Like I thought like, uh, you know, I've seen some explorations of, of old works before like this and, and they didn't capture my attention. Whereas this one, it really did. It, it, it pulled me in. Um, and I was interested in, you know, and, and finding out more about the actual exploration process and, and how Anna learned about this poem and, and learned to understand it and sort of, um, you know, all of those elements were pulled in in a way that was, um, that, that, you know, kept my attention and was amusing and interesting and, and filtered back into the poem and the meaning of the poem. Um, I, I just thought it was, it was a really compelling use of, uh, you know, of, of an old work and, and sort of making it new and fresh in a different kind of way. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too. this, you know, another theme we've seen coming out throughout some of the game jam winners is one of the ways you can make a game about a new uh, existing work, a public domain work or something is just making a game directly about your engagement with it, or, you know, directly about yeah. uh, guiding the player's engagement with it. And we've seen that in a few different forms in cool ways way back in the first one, we had stopping by the woods on a snowy evening to steal treasure, which tasks a player with sort of like jazzing up and remixing a Robert <laughs> Frost poem. And we we right. had uh, Remembering Grusau last year, or was that the year before? I'm blank now, you know, which was a sort of deeply personal, very weighty, like, reflection on a work and its historical context and its meaning. And then, you know, we have this one, which is what that cool sort of, you know, I, it feels diminishing to say inconsequential, but it's like, it's not, there's not some big <laughs> weighty theme to the person's interaction with the work. It's just a little personal story about how they interacted with it. And then all of this richness comes out of that, you know, as you, as they tell that to you in like a detailed way of their sort of process of learning about and, and understanding it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it certainly got me a lot more interested in the poem mm -hmm. <laughs> than I had been before. And so, you know, I, I, I was impressed by, by how, how the, the game itself uh, really sort of drew me in to, to learn about the poem and, and also, uh, you know, about the, the creator of the game as well. All right, uh, moving on to best adaptation. And for this one, we have The Wall Across the River by Seth Ellis. And uh, Randy, you want to give a quick description on that one? Sure. So uh, this is an adaptation of a 1926 novel by Hope Merlees or Merlis, I'm not sure, uh, called Lud in the Mist. And um, and the the story that is being adapted is uh, a it's about a uh, town that borders the fairy realms and. Uh, the, the tension between the town being respectable and the fairy realms making inroads and taking it over. And so that's, that's what the game seeks to adapt. Um, and uh, the game itself, again, is a, it's a storytelling game, um, this time played with uh, cards. And uh, there's a game board to it. And the game board represents this uh, Lud in the Mist setting where you have uh, a possible wall being built by the mayor of the of the town to keep out the fairy folk. You have a duke of the fairy folk who is trying to spread... Uh, mist into the town to make everything silly um, or, or fa fancical or you know, the, you know to, to yeah give the fairies their presence and it's it's really this um this battle although not necessarily a violent battle but a, a whimsical 
um, values-based tension uh, between these two parties, the, the the people and the fairies. And so you're, you're taking turns placing your cards on this board as the mayor tries to complete the wall, as the duke tries to shroud the, the town in mist. Um, and you, if there are more players, you know, they're the citizens who are audience and judge. But um, just this, this more than anything else we looked at really feels like it is uh, deeply adapting a specific work and trying to, but I, I really like how it's trying to capture the overall sort of dynamics of the work without being a literal translation of the work. Yeah, it's very cool because it's got all of these storytelling prompt aspects to it. And of course, we see lots of different creative uses of storytelling prompts all the time. Um, the addition of the game board and this sort of simple game mechanic attached to it is really great because it really emphasizes this tension at the core of the work that it's trying to explore. And that is, you know, that tension that is, is very much in that sort of uh, British fairy tale kind of tradition that, you know, there's the fairy folk who project glamour and cloud the mind and there's the rational world and they're always, you know, these points of weakness where one bleeds into the other and, and this, in a very simple, elegant way with this mechanic of spreading the mist up into the lands or building the wall to block it out or really sort of brings that all home into the core of the game and keeps that back and forth tension while you're using all the storytelling prompts and it was very cool and I don't, you know, I don't know the work well i know it's considered like pretty influential in its way um you know in in the genre of fantasy and especially sort of that vein of fairy folk kind of fantasy i know it's a favorite of neil gaiman's though if it was up to him it wouldn't enter the public domain for another six years um <laughs> <laughs> ah, snide comments <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i i thought i thought it was this is it's really sort of well done and actually you know um for for a, a relatively simple game fairly polished in in terms of how how put together it was um and like a game that i would actually be interested in in really playing and 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 you know going through and and sitting down with folks and, and actually playing it because it, it looks fun yeah all right, moving on, we have our regular return winner, I guess. Is, is this is the third year, right? Thir third think. year out of four. He didn't submit a game in the first of these game jams. but Okay, so this is for the best remix, uh, and this is Dreaming the Cave by David Harris. Uh, and uh, do one of you want to give a sort of description on, on uh, David's latest game? Sure. Yeah. Um, so as you know, did you know, David is a returning winner and he's sort of been carving out a very clear niche for himself. Uh, he's clearly very knowledgeable about about art and he's taking all of these interesting examples. So we had um, uh, uh, Fish Magic last year and prior to that, the 24th Kandinsky, both of which were, you know, about um, Paul Klee paintings and Kandinsky paintings, respectively. This one is about a pair of Czech artists who had an artistic collaboration all through their life. Um, and again, this is where, you know, this is not a world that I know a lot about the source material. Uh, so it's, you know, they were part of an art movement called Artificialism or the founders of it and part of an avant-garde group. And this is all sort of laid out in a great way in the book to give you some context uh, in the instructions. And then the game itself is uh, using a painting by one of the artists, which does, as he mentions in the instructions, really already look like it's almost a game board. It's, it's <laughs> yes. very intriguing, you know, work 
work that's got it, it yeah you i can see why he wanted to immediately turn it into a game board <laughs> and then using a bunch of the artist's other paintings as sort of pieces that are played onto this game board and once again we have this idea of a mechanic like that on a board uh similar to the last game the wall across the river being the scaffolding for a storytelling back and forth between the two players as they explore the collaboration and the connection between these artists based on the idea of them being able to enter each other's dreams, which is a very cool storytelling mechanic. And the game with minimal scaffolding lays out a way for you to do this back and forth once again of building on each other's dreams and entering each other's dreams with some of the limitations on that dictated by how the, the paintings that you're playing down on the board line up. And sometimes you won't be able to get into their dreams. Sometimes you will. And it's uh, w- once again, you know, the whole thing is suffused with the uh, knowledge about an examination of what these artworks meant in their time and to the artists who created them and in the broader history of art. So it's a genuine learning experience, you know, whether you're someone who knows art well or doesn't, you know, it really gets you to think about it in with a critical mind and, you know, with a art history mind and all of these things in a very fun way. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that that was a great description. Randy, did you have anything to add about uh, about this one? No, I think that, I think that was great. This was a, a fun one to stumble upon and to read. I guess I could also give a shout out. This is actually one of two submissions that David put in this year. The other being uh, Drinks with Archibald uh, Vasily and the Gang, um, which has the players using using um, drinks, gla- drinking glasses and or wine glasses to create art from the circles underneath those glasses. So like. I, I just I love every year seeing what David does with getting people to engage with art in different ways. And it's just it's a treat. And um, and this this one in particular was really great. Yeah. Yeah. Just I mean, super creative, you know, each year, different different things. And like, you know, the, the games themselves are very different each year, um, but they're all about engaging with art. And uh, and they're always super, super compelling. Yeah, that that is an important point, too, you know, because he has been winning three times in a row now. And I don't want it to sound like we're just giving the same game an award every time. These are astonishingly different games. uh, And it's actually really impressive how he comes up with a mechanic that is so suited to the artwork he's exploring and is unique and custom to this one game is not just using the same formula on different artists work. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. Very much. Um, It's, it's super, super creative. Um, All right. So then moving on to our deep cut, and, and I, this is always sort of my favorite category, just because we find some, something totally bizarre <laughs> that, that, you know, one, you wouldn't have even thought about as like going into the public domain, and then even more bizarre, like, you know, why would you ever make a game out of it? And I think, <laughs> I think that qualifies for this year's deep cut, which is The Obstruction Method by uh, Jason Morningstar. And Randy, you want to give a quick description on on what what the deep cut here is? Sure. I mean, this is this is such a delight on so many levels. Uh, so, okay, the the game itself uh, is based on a study of the effect of starvation upon behavior by means of the obstruction method, which is a research paper by pioneering lesbian scholar um, Francis uh, Holden. And um, and the more you like dig into this more interesting the whole story gets because apparently her brother was a writer who maybe a not particularly you know talented writer who was uh in robert frost's inner circle and it's just like this interesting 
weird slice of like what was going on in New York around NYU uh, in in the twenties. And um, and so Jason Morningstar is uh, one of my favorite uh, game designers of, of storytelling games. And so I was very excited to see him him submit to the this jam. The the game itself is a freeform LARP, um, and uh, it takes place in Francis's lab, and it uh, very much mirrors. So it takes place in Francis's lab as she's conducting the study. Um, that is the research report, which is like a, a landmark behaviorist research report uh, study of rats. And so, but it's it's really about how the experiment she's doing on the rats mirrors the obstructions and frustrations in her life and the lives of the people around her, whether it's in the lab or their connections outside of the lab. And so over the course of uh, maybe two hours, you play out in these like, you know, sort of continuously going scenes, um, the interplay between the people in the lab as as things are kind of awkward and as they're getting stymied in their own sort of relationship goals, they keep turning and doing more experiments on the rats. And uh, <laughs> Jason's just done this great job of, you know, there's a whole long list of, of pr- prompts for like when you do, like when you don't know what else to do, just do an experiment on the rat and you'll draw a card <laughs> for what that experiment tells you. Uh, you know, so it could be the um, the rat stares at you with sad, red, mon- melancholy, <laughs> accusing eyes. You stand between it and its dearest desire. And right. like you're, you then like naturally are then weaving that sort of back into how your character is experiencing things with the other characters and how they feel about their own goals and desire. Uh, Jason also did a good job of, um, you know, just incorporating uh, art that matches what you would expect from a 1920s research paper. There's like a, an electrical circuit uh, switch, <laughs> um, which is which is wonderful. There, uh, danger, the live for, current. <laughs> yeah, there are prompts. The character sheets themselves are designed to look just like the uh, rat, like maze, like uh, you know, not mm-hmm. maze isn't exactly the right term, but like the the setup of the experiment itself. Um, it is, it is just really clever. Um, there's a, there's a sheet for tracking all the experiments and it's, that looks again, like something out of a 1920s lab. It's, it's just perfect. It's so great. And, uh, definitely a game I want to play at some point. Yeah. The whole game yeah. looks like a, you know, sheaf of scanned papers from a twenties experiment or something that you, you know, that you found or whatever, which is very cool presentation. And, and I was going to point out, cause I've been bringing up, you know, comparisons to past years. Uh, this is the second time that, that, uh, the deep cut winner has been a scientific study, uh, which, you know, is one of those things obviously doesn't get all the attention paid to it as a Winnie the Pooh or, a, you know, a piece of music <laughs> or whatever, but there's interesting stuff there. And so we had that previous winner, not a fish that was also a very interesting yep. uh, game based on a scientific study. Uh, it's cool to see someone else doing that with another major study. And yeah, just, just brilliant premise taking, you know, this behavioral rat study, there's sort of like an obvious bit of literary fun you can have there with ah but the people doing the study are also themselves in the study (laughs) and just building that out into a game in such a fun way and it's just you know yeah very very clever yeah this is it's it's great like every page as you go through it you're just like oh okay (laughs) like this is this is so well done uh it's just put together perfectly um, so, and, and obviously just a super deep cut in terms of what the source material is. And, uh, I, I have no idea even how, how Jason came, came upon it as a, as a 1926 public domain work, but it's, it was fantastic. All right. And then the final prize is for visuals. Uh, and this was also one of my favorite games, which was Mr. Top Hat doesn't give a damn. Uh, by Josh from uh, Dirtbug Games. Uh, and this one uh, 
it's just fun. <laughs> so, so Randy, I don't know. Do you want to give a, a sort of quick description of it, or or why don't least? you go for this one? Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's you know, it's in that tradition of sort of comedic games that are you know making fun of the conventions of gaming and of the type of game they are. It's not designed to actually be a challenge to play. It's to, it's a little way of telling a story while you use the mechanics of the game. Essentially, it's drawing on a variety of 1926 cartoons which is probably part of why I loved it because I love that aesthetic and I'm a sucker for vintage <laughs> cartoons. Um, it's, it's such a rich source of animation and motion and art for people to use um, and just mixing a bunch of them together in a fun way to create this short little uh, unfinished by the designer's own admission experience yeah. where you play as Mr. Top Hat, uh, which I believe Mr. Top Hat is, is an original asset that he's drawn up for the game uh, sort of to fit with the style and you move through a short series of a couple of levels that are built out of old material from cartoons. You've got fully animated uh, vintage animation backgrounds and elements on the screen. Um, Very simple sort of joke platformer gaming. You know, you move around, you jump, you uh, fall in a hole, you dodge some things falling from the sky. And I almost, I don't want to give it all away because it's, it only takes about three, four minutes to play through what's there so far. And it's the, the key that I haven't mentioned is of course that it's all narrated by an AI, an AI generated voice actually. That's a very, very good one. Um, You know, which gives this sort of funny ongoing narration throughout the whole game as it exists so far. And, you know, and that's in that vein of other comedy games like the you know famous Stanley Parable or something where oh there's some you know the a British accent narrating the game in a funny way is a real key to an entertaining funny game you know that's a real good uh, good approach to that and uh, yeah I mean mostly I suggest go play it because it only takes a few minutes you'll see some fun cartoons you'll get a little visual surprise at the ending which again I don't want to give away but it's part of I think why we chose it for best best visuals because beyond just slapping all of these cartoons onto the screen it actually has some fun with uh, messing with them and doing, you know, some yeah. interesting things. And the game ends with a note from the designer just after the introduction of the next chapter saying this is as far as he's gotten. And he plans to continue working on this game. I absolutely hope that's true. I'd love to see more of this get done. But even in its sort of prototype form, it was a, a great entry for a game jam like this and, uh, you know, really fun. So it got best visuals. <laughs> Yeah, it was just like the one game that as I was playing, I was I had the biggest smile on my face because it's just very entertaining and and it's kind of silly uh, and uh, you know you sort of very quickly get the um, the sort of attitude of the game designer out uh, and, and you see that and it just you know becomes a fun game and I would like to see the the full game if he continues to build it out as well. Yeah. Cool. So those are the six prize winners. Um, but I did want to discuss some of the other games too, some of the sort of honorable mentions slash runners up, however we want to refer to them. Cause there were, you know, again, we had 31 games and there were a lot that were really good. And certainly a lot of them were in contention for, for the different prizes. Um, and so I would definitely recommend that people check out many of the other games as well. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I'm trying to think, like, which one do we want to go for first? The one I'm going to, to mention is uh, the old-fashioned way to die, um, 
which I thought was is, is a really, really excellent game uh, and, and great graphics as well, great visuals um, and really fun and interesting and engaging. Um, the issue that, that, that I had at least with it was that it's basically a game that is designed to be set in 1926 and has a 1926 like feel to it, but it was not clear if it was actually based on any actual 1926 work rather than just sort of building a 1926 era game. Um, but uh, Randy Lee, do you have any comments on that yeah. one? Yeah, I mean, I think um, yeah, the the rules um, of what we give prizes for is you know somewhat somewhat clear. It needs to be directly using or riffing off of a specific work from 1926. Um, but if not for that, I think this would have been a shoe in for for a prize. Uh, the visuals are, are great. There, I think custom watercolors that the artist had done. Oh, so the, the designer on this is um, Anastasia Merzlea. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. And uh, and yeah, you're playing the role of a detective at, at who arrives on the scene of like a garden party where uh, they have to investigate a murder, and you have a little detective's not necessarily you're, a murder, a death. Oh, not necessarily a murder. <laughs> potential, potential. Yes. And so you are interviewing uh, the uh, people who are gathered there. You're understanding their relationship to the deceased, and you are trying to understand who has motive, who has opportunity. And so it's just it's it's really tightly designed. It's very evocative of like Ag- Agatha Christie style mysteries and um yeah d- definitely worth checking out yeah it was probably the most fully fleshed out uh digital game at least that was submitted or at least it was up there i mean it's got multiple endings it's uh it's yeah quite quite an undertaking very impressive project and you know it's a shame that i don't think it quite qualified to be one of the prize winners but definitely one that people should go check out yeah um, another one in the, in the digital realm that, that I liked and thought was a pretty, pretty fun fleshed out digital game was, uh, at the window, um, which, uh, you know, it's, it's a video game. <laughs> it's you're, 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 uh, playing as a bird who's trying, trying to get food and not get, uh, attacked by people at, at windows. <laughs> That's the the simplest way to put it. Uh, you know, people put pies out on windowsills, and you're flapping around trying to eat the pies and or whatever uh, without getting you know hit by people in the windows. Uh, and it just works. It's I, I had fun with it. I played around with it. Uh, I don't know, Randy or, or Lee, if you. I had any thoughts on on at the window. I thought that was a fun one. Yeah, I mean, just that we should note that it it has a cool visual style, too. It's using that sort of rough collage style of a bunch of old static images. Um, You know, that style that's maybe evocative of like the uh, Monty Python style animation or something, but using sort of vintage black and white uh, images. And yeah, no, very cool overall. It was a, you know, one that we strongly considered, I think, for the best visuals category as well. Definitely one worth checking out. Yeah. Um, another analog game, uh, that I thought was really interesting and well done, uh, was enough rope. Um, and that it was, a a take on, uh, Dorothy Parker, uh, works. Um, and I thought just, you know, it was a a sort of very, uh, I guess enough rope was a, a set of poems by Dorothy Parker that came out in 1926. And it, it, 
deals with, as, as it says, uh, themes of love and heartbreak. Uh, and so the game itself is sort of, you know, you're dealing with different cards, some of which have full hearts and some of which have broken hearts. And uh, you're sort of, you know, play, playing a game uh, involving full hearts and broken hearts. Um, and I thought it was, it was a, a nice use of, of turning, you know, a set of poems into, into a, a card game. Uh, and so I, I, I like that one a lot as well. Yeah, another one that I thought was uh, quite neat was Unraveled Knots, which, um, you know, was especially notable. I think it had this cool uh, mechanic wherein you're tying knots in a piece of string and part of the game is dictated by how much room is left to tie new knots in the string, which uh, I thought (laughs) was very neat and connected to that as a quite interesting little mystery game that I, you know, that pulls, I think, from the from the source material in interesting ways. It was one, you know, I had been considering for best adaptation as well. But uh, yeah, so I thought that was a cool one. I mean, there really are so many that are worth at least checking out. You know, we have Dust Toten Schiff was someone built a full-fledged, quite interesting little sort of tactical board game, uh, yeah. you know, um, but that's by Jeff Black. I have um, Escape by S. Westall was uh, quite yeah. a cool solitaire game that is like a multi, it's quite complicated, but like multi-step solitaire that mirrors the acts of the story that it's retelling um, through multiple that phases. One, yeah. Yeah. It looked really, really cool. I like that one. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I thought Dance of Madness was a very cool uh, pulling from sort of a whole genre of works uh, with a couple a couple primary ones, you know, another sort of storytelling game trying to capture a particular tradition of filmmaking and its storytelling. Um, yeah, I mean, really, people should go check out a whole bunch of them because there's just so much great stuff in here. Yeah. And we haven't mentioned any of the Winnie the Pooh ones. So again, <laughs> uh, you know, there were there were some Winnie the Pooh submissions um, and, you know, that were, were entertaining as well. But, you know, I, I thought it was interesting that none of the Winnie the Pooh ones actually, you know, won. Again, obviously, it's, it's a stiff competition. Um, but, that, you know, I was I was wondering, like last year, you know, when we had all the the. Um, Gatsby. Uh, Gatsby submissions if we were going to just be overwhelmed with with Winnie the Pooh submissions especially since so much of the discussion about um you know the public domain this year focused on Winnie the Pooh um and you know we did get some some submissions and they were they were actually somewhat creative uh but you know worth checking out as well. Yeah. I mean, it's probably worth noting that one of them was not eligible for the prizes because it was a download only. And, you know, we have a requirement for browser playable games for our digital games, but there is one just called Winnie the Pooh that I think would have been a very strong contender for best visuals if it had been a browser game, because it does a very cool thing of taking all of the art from the 1926 book that entered the public domain and sort of trying to build a game directly inside that art with you moving around those pieces. Um, in both 2D and 3D ways, uh, you know, very ambitious thing to try to do for a game jam with art like that. Um, you know, obviously would take a lot of work to get polished and and being perfect, but but really cool approach and one that is a shame it wasn't, uh, you know, didn't qualify yeah. for a prize, but totally worth checking out if you want to download a Windows game. Yeah, I also I, I really liked. Uh, I mean, it's a very simple sort of you know, it's been done before. I guess the Roaring Twenties, which was a, a musical button uh, masher kind of game, you know, where you're trying to to catch the notes of various 1920s songs. Rhythm game um, is the know, word you're looking for. Rhythm yeah. game, <laughs> yes. Uh, and it, but you know, fun. You know, it's just simple, straightforward. 
Um, but you know, but, but it was, I, I like that. I played around with a little bit, didn't get very far. And when you lose, it says you are out of tune, which I, which yeah, I <laughs> yeah, it's nicely polished. I thought it was quite good. I think, you know, I, it's, it feels eclipsed a little bit by the great Gatsby rhythm action game that sure. we had last year that was just really great and had some creative touches that you don't always see in a game like this. Um, yeah. you know, not, not to say it's better or anything, but I think that captured our attention so much that, that this one being in a very similar vein, uh, maybe fell in its shadow a little bit, but still a really great project and, and totally a fun little creation. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, again, I mean, we're not, we're not going to be able to mention all of the other games, um, but th- there, there was lots of, lots of really good stuff and super creative. Uh, it was fun to go through all of them. And so, you know, they're, they're all up on the site, on the, on the game jam site and you can check them all out. Yeah. We'll make sure a link to that is in the notes for this podcast. And, um, you know, either just before or just after this podcast, we'll have a post on the site with all of these winners and direct links and links to all the other entries as well. So, so look for that. Um, and I'm sure we'll share them on Twitter as we usually do and, you know, so on. So keep an eye out and, and definitely go check out a bunch of these games because these designers did really cool work, um, you know, for this game jam. And so I think, I, I hope the ones who got the prizes are very happy, but I bet you that what all of them would like the most is just for people to come play their games and check out the work yeah. they did. And that's more important than any prizes. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I, I think that's, that's a wrap on, on the 1926 public domain game jam. Uh, we want to thank everyone, you know, certainly everyone who submitted and, and all the work that you put in and putting together these games. It was really fun. We, it felt like the designers were, were even more engaged this year as well. Uh, we got a lot more feedback and a lot more people reaching out and, and communicating with us. And so um, that was great as well. Uh, we're starting yeah, there, to... there were people uh, looking for collaborators and feedback in the um, discussion forum attached to the jam, too. So yeah. really nice to see some community coalesce. Yeah. And so we're, you know, we're again looking forward to doing this again next year, the 1927 Game Jam. Um, you know, we'll start, uh, you know, it'll probably be till November or December before we figure out what what wonderful works are going into the public domain. But, uh, you know, uh, you can start planning if you want <laughs> for, for a game for next it's, year. It's not a spoiler what games will uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. recommend. So. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, I it's haven't a, looked into it yet at a glance, um, though I'm not sure how accurate, you know, as always, got to double check things. But yeah. it looks like maybe To the Lighthouse by Virginia Woolf and uh, Steppenwolf by Herman Hess oh. um, and uh, some early Disney material. So that'll be interesting. And uh, yeah. Yeah, we're getting closer. Wait, is when when does the Mickey Mouse go in? There's I am seeing year? mixed reactions and I'm sure it will be a heated debate about when precisely, but yeah, I think it might actually be. I think I think Mickey Mouse goes into the public domain next year. So that's the that's the big one, obviously. <laughs> um so that'll be interesting. Um but anyways, lots to talk about as, as we get closer to that. But again, just thanks to everyone, especially everyone who, who entered and, and participated. Um, and, you know, there are a couple of people who were, who were really great, just also in terms of encouraging people to take part in the game. And I want to thank them as well. You know, it's all sort of a community effort here. Um, and uh, thanks to everyone for checking out the games and, and playing them and, um, you know, letting the designers know what, what a great job they did. Um, you know, go, go and do that. I think everyone will appreciate that. And thanks to everyone for listening as well. And we'll be back next week with another podcast. 
Bye. And uh, oh, I should say thanks oh. to Lee and Randy for, for 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 doing the podcast with me to discuss all the games. So thanks, guys. Thanks, Mike. Pleasure as always. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Have a good one. <laughs> If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt.